You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. I think we are live. Do you want me to fill while you fiddle with some cables? <laughs> it says we're live. It says we're live 40 seconds in. There'll be some editing of this. Right. If people have been listening to me bumbling, saying we might not be live, we are live. So sorry about that. Horrendous start. Hello. Welcome to Garibaldi Red as Nightingale Forest. Heading to World Cup off the bottom of the Premier League table after a 1 0 win over Crystal Palace. Joining me to discuss the game and the state of play of the season as a whole is, first of all, BBC Radio Nottingham's Forest commentator Colin Frey. Colin, you don't get those sort of intros on the BBC. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised how many you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, are we here? Are we live? Yeah. <laughs> the hazards of broadcasting. Are you well? Yes, good, thank you. Yes, uh, encouraged by what I've been seeing over the last week or so uh, from Forest. So uh, send us off into the World Cup break in good heart, I think. Uh, well, you are welcome. Previously, I don't know if you know this, David Jackson's been on twice this season. The first one was after the 4-0 at Leicester, and the second one was after the 5-0 at Arsenal. So, uh, uh, well, yeah. there you go, you see. There you go. That's uh, You just need the right guests, don't you? Hey, Temps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dream team today. <laughs> Absolutely. Second guest is Michael Temple. Temps, how are you doing? I'm just trying to think which TV presenter you remind me most of, because in the preamble you told me you were now addicted to Pringles, which got me thinking about Alan Partridge and his toe-grown affliction. And then you sounded like Keith Lemon's Davina McCall. With, uh, we're live, we're live. Do not say <laughs> whatever or whatever. But yeah, good to see you. Good to catch up with Colin as well, who um, yeah, I always like spending time with. Well, yeah, we were definitely live. Lots of comments from people saying we were live. So I'll edit that out after and uh, it'll look a lot more professional when people listen to this on iTunes. Right. Um, the game itself then, Temps, a missed penalty, VAR at the forefront of it again. But at the end of the day, Forrest won and I think they certainly deserve to win. What did you make of it and what's the kind of feeling coming out of the ground afterwards? Well, I was elated. I was with a Palace fan as well, which made it even better. And, and his perspective was just to bemoan Wilf Zaha. I missed that volley early on and then took a terrible, terrible penalty. But we've been due some luck. And it wasn't just dumb luck, was it? We created chances. We looked sharp. We played to the game plan. The team selection came off. So I think it was three points that we earned. And as Cole said at the top, it's just just set us into this break, feeling good about Forest, feeling good about our chances. And we deserved it. It's, it's been coming. The form has improved. And the fact that we didn't race out the traps and then fade away to get to this number of points we've had. We had a challenging start. We've seen the team evolve. We've seen them gel to a point. And we're now going into this break with a fantastic period of form in the bank. So I'm delighted. And yeah, I felt on cloud nine walking out of the city ground on Saturday. I think on the last podcast we did on the Thursday, we said, or I said, I've always felt for us going to win against Spurs. It felt really comfortable once they went 2-0 up. This game, Colin, I was absolutely you know, nerve-shredded with that free kick at the end after Brennan gave a pretty cheap one away. It was very tense. How did it feel in the commentary box for you? Yeah, tense. I mean, uh, they, they just if only Jesse Lingard had, had curled that one into the bottom corner when he went just wide after a, a really good move, actually, down the left-hand side and, and Brennan Johnson just laying it off for him. Um, Steve Cooper said actually afterwards that he, he thought if that had gone in, it would probably have been their best goal of the season so far. And I know what he means with the way that the football was played. Uh, and, and it was kind of a case of, oh, if only that had gone in, because then that would give them the two-goal cushion. But it was very tense towards the end. Having said that, when you look back on it now, Palace had very few opportunities, did they? The two that the Temps mentioned earlier, the, the one early on for, for Zaha that he put over and then the uh, the penalty itself. Apart from that, Dean Henderson's had nothing to do. So in, in, when you analyse it in the cold light of day, it, it, it almost feels, it almost looks now comfortable, but it certainly wasn't at the time. And you, I think you could feel the tension around the, around the city ground. But do you know what I like? One of the things I like about the city ground at the moment is that when you have a tense situation like that, the crowd used the, the, their own tensions to just sing louder. And it's just brilliant. The atmosphere is just brilliant. I remember years gone by when you might be tense and you're hanging on to a 1-0 and nobody's singing, nobody's saying anything. It's a really quiet, sort of strange, nervy atmosphere in there because, I don't know, people are sitting on their hands, biting their fingernails, doing, what, <laughs> doing whatever they're doing. But now it almost seems as if any sort of tension or nerves is translated into just up in the volume a bit more. So um, I, I really like that about the city ground and the crowd at the moment. And um, yeah, it was nervy, 
Uh, Brian Law said about three minutes from time, Crystal Palace looked toothless, which is a nightmare thing for a commentator to say. <laughs> <laughs> but he actually got away with it this time um, because, I mean, largely he was right, wasn't he? And when you look at Palace and their, you know, Zaha up front and then those three in behind with, uh, you know, the likes of Eze and Elise, Ayu in there as well. I think it, it actually looked a really tough game for Forrest. Uh, they all are, aren't they, in the Premier League, and especially when you're bottom of it. Um, but uh, I, I just I thought that was going to be a really tough defensive test for them. And if it was a defensive test, they passed it with flying colours. And credit to that uh, much-changed defence over the last couple of games as well. Yeah, the team selection was the interesting debate going into the game temps, wasn't it? I put a predicted team on our Facebook page. It was pretty. It might have been the exact team. It was very close to it, and people absolutely slaughtered it. And then Cooper picked basically that team, that front three. I thought it worked. There's a huge clamour for Sam Surridge to start, but what did you make of the team that was selected? Yeah, well, you called it. The team that you put out predicted was was correct. I think that was due to McKenna's injury. Um, the the word we had was that they were keen to play McKenna, but with him not quite being fit. Um, Bolly came in. So with hindsight, good team to pick. But I think Surridge deserved the start. I'm not going to change what I said before the the match, which would be a bit of a cop-out. I thought, given what happened on Wednesday, given the profile of player that I felt we needed in that mix before the game, Surridge deserved the start. Now, having said that, we're sat here now having won one nil and having seen that combination of Gibbs-White, Brennan uh, and Jesse Lingard click. The chance early on, Gives White's through ball to Johnson wide, cross shot, Lingard flying in at the back stick. Great combo. The one that Colin mentioned, Gibbs White cross, Johnson layoff, Lingard first time shot. They're getting an understanding of where each other are going to be, how they want to play, and they're all comfortable playing one touch, two touch. They're equally comfortable drifting past a man. You can see why Cooper, having seen them running right in training all week, wants to get those three players on the pitch because they can all be match winners. Now, these are good problems to have. Off the back of winning games, having players with a, a, that are clamouring to get in the side is where we want to be. Sam Surridge won't be happy with that. If McKenna's fit after the break, uh, Bolly won't be happy if he's left out because he put a decent shift in as well. And we all know how tough it is to, to pick that central three. So delighted to see it work. Surprised a bit, personally, that Surridge didn't get that start because I think his physical presence and the assists in the previous matches... Um, were to his credit, and I felt felt he'd earned a, earned a chance. But Steve Cooper has two or three times now taken players out of the side. And I highlight Brennan took him out of the side when I felt he needed a rest, and now he's put him back put him back in, seeing that he's ready to play, and he looks so much more comfortable for having had that break, for having gone through the coaching staff, whatever it is they wanted him to to work on, and he had a big influence in that game. So credit to Cooper, not only for the way he's he's dropped players when they've needed it, because he's been brutal in certain circumstances, but for bringing them back in when they're ready, because those three were certainly ready on Saturday. Mm. It's a slightly different variation on the front three as well. I think I'm right in saying, Colin, was Brennan the middle one in these early games? But Gibbs-White's playing now as the central sort of false nine, and it feels like it works better. What's your take on it? Can it work We'll come on to where they buy a striker in January or not, but can this work in the longer term if Cooper wants it to? Home and away, because I think home and away are different um, cows of fish in a way. Yeah, they might be. It might be different away from home. I, I kind of go along with with what Temps was just saying, really. That I I think I think when the teams first announced, there's a lot of sort of oh well, they can't play together. You can't just play those as a front three. But I think when he's obviously he's got the benefit of watching them in training every day. He's just seen Morgan Gibbs-White coming off the, the back of his best game against Brentford and then leaves him out, obviously, for resting against uh, Spurs. He's just seen Jesse Lingard come off the back of his best game against Spurs in midweek. So he kind of can't really drop either of those. And as Temps has just alluded to, I think Brennan Johnson is now getting back to the form that we've seen him demonstrate over the last couple of years, whether it be at League One with Lincoln and then Championship with Forest. Now he seems to be clicking into gear in the Premier League as well with, you know, every time he gets it, he looks a threat. He's running at people. He's beating people. He's at the nutmeg on uh, Longley towards the end of the Spurs game, which is just magnificent. Um, so he's uh, he's sort of getting to, to that stage now where he's a real threat as well. So 
if you if you're seeing those three in such good individual form and you're starting to see it clicking in training in the way we saw during the game, then I think it's it's hard for anybody else to sort of force their way in, including Sam Surridge, who I think has been superb for Forrest uh, whenever he's been called upon. And I think he was again the other night. It's a great assist for Jesse Lingard's goal because he had a lot to do with that. It's a good cross, but he, he had a lot to do to make sure that ended up back on Jesse Lingard's head. Um, so full credit to him. Um, but I just think when you've got those three, and I know there's no sort of orthodox striker in there and it's a bit different to what you would tend to see. But if you've got creative players like that that are able to all of them cause a threat, then I think it's hard to leave them out. Like you say, away from home might be a different uh, you know, a different scenario, you know, when they come back and they go to Old Trafford first up, uh, well, after Blackburn, uh, but when they go to Old Trafford, could I see those three playing as a front three? Possibly not, really. Um, so I, I think it might be different away from home, but, you know, as, as long as the three of them can keep up their form, now we've got this big break, um, it, uh, it's exciting, I think, to watch in the second half of the season. I've got to say, I'm really warming to Jesse Lingard as a player, but as a bloke as well. I think he came in with this kind of reputation because you don't watch opposition players, do you much? You think you, you just see them play and you kind of you get sucked in by the narrative around them a bit. And I think he came in as this kind of air of arrogance portrayed in the media, you know, the two million talk sport clips about him being an idiot and all that stuff. But when you see him play, especially now, he looks like he's a lot fitter. He's a lot more energetic and temps. He looks like he absolutely loves it, doesn't he, at the moment? You see the celebrations at the end and the bench camp stuff. He's well into it. He's buying in, isn't he? He loves football, but I think he loves life. And I, I didn't read him as being arrogant when he came in. I obviously saw all the things that he, he does off the pitch. But, you know, some of some of the lads here and some of the lads in that Forest squad will play golf for four hours every day. He just likes to dance, play video games and wear baggy clothes. But that's that's fine. Like he can only run around with a ball for two hours a day in training. So what he does out of that is great. And I think his train spotting clip was just fantastic, wasn't it? He just, just showed him as a uh, just really human and, yeah, good at interacting with, with people. But he certainly catches fire. And I think when he's enjoying a run of form, be it, you know, the, the Man United form that led to the, the England call at the last major tournament, be it that West Ham period when he was on fire and be it what we've seen in the last couple of games. You just see this enjoyment and this confidence in him and it's infectious. And the things that he's done and had as a footballer are what Morgan Gibbs-White and Brennan Johnson aspire to. So you, you can imagine them seeking his company at the training ground and talking to him about where he's been and, and, and what he's done. But yeah, you're right. I think it's clear that he's enjoying his football. Off the back of that, he's, his stock has risen with Forest fans immeasurably in the last two weeks. You could construct an argument to say he's our most talented player in terms of what he can do with a football. And all we want now is for him to maintain that when we resume um, in, in December because he is that good. He can run games. He ran the Spurs game. He was slightly less influential on Saturday only because others around him stepped up as well. But I think he's uh, he's an excellent player. He's been one of the reasons why we've won the last two. And if we're going to start the, the, the new year in, in similar fashion, then we need him in the side fit and firing. So do they buy a, do they buy a strike in January, Colin, do you think? Will they buy one? Um, yeah. I think they'll probably look to add to their goal-scoring power, yeah. I mean, I think if you look at Forrest, um, I think they are... I think one of the areas... They're obviously improving now. They're improving in every area, you know. And, and I think, just to add to what Temps was saying about Jesse Lingard, I almost think he's he's kind of the epitome of Forrest, really. He's, he just... it's exact, his His form and his sort of rise, if you like, is kind of mirrored forest um and i think he like everybody else has taken a little while to sort of get into it and to uh, acknowledge the systems and to get to know his teammates and all the rest of it just the same as they all have and now you're starting to see them all come into a little bit of form um and i don't think that's coincidental i don't think you have a, a whole load of players who are all out of form and then suddenly just come into form i think that's all to do with the hard work they're putting in on the training ground, the fact they're getting to know each other better, all that stuff about gelling. I think it's absolutely right. 
think it's absolutely been proved um, that now you're starting to see uh, something more like what Steve Cooper wants. I wouldn't say the real forest yet. I still think there's more to come. Um, and I think one of the areas where there is more to come will be in goal scoring, because I think that's one area where they're uh, a little bit short. Um, they seem, touching wood, to have addressed the issues of shipping so many goals that they were doing earlier in the season. Uh, with Arsenal now the real sort of standout aberration in the recent run of matches. Um, so I, I think I think they'll look at an area to, to improve being goal scoring. And I would imagine that they will probably yeah, look for look for somebody to come in in the summer. Uh, sorry, in the winter, in January. I think one of the areas, the kind of concern I had about playing this front three was the midfield behind them needs to be right. And in the longer term, maybe O'Brien and Mangala fit in because they're a bit more energetic um, and they pass the ball a little bit better. But Freuler, uh, I thought it was really... I know he got some flack off Fletch last week on this, but I thought he was good as, on Saturday, especially in the second half. And I thought Yates was tremendous again. You know, man of the match, four home games in a row. The midfield temps, has, it, it's it pretty much clicked now, hasn't it? It feels like there's a lot of good options there and there's a three that are putting their hands up really well. Yeah, I'd add Mangala to that three, and he perhaps would have had um, Koyate's place if he hadn't have been suspended. Froiler, you look if you look for the moments they're there. We've all seen the stat about his running; he does get everywhere. Um, he anticipated the uh, interception for the cross that led to Morgan Gibbs White's goal. So, yeah, I think for the for the the football. What's the word? Those that are really studying the game appreciate Freuler more than the, the, the casual fan. And he prob- probably finds himself where Yatesy was two and three years ago, where people were celebrating the goal scorers and the um, last-ditch tackles in defence and perhaps missing a lot of, of what he was doing. So, yeah, Freuler's not going to grab headlines, but I don't think he wants to. He wants to be in and amongst it, tactically astute, and also with having those three with license to, um, to to cheat, if you like, to abandon defensive responsibility, to to get into attacking positions, you do need an older head who's going to see that and simply provide cover. And that always goes unseen. So there's a, there's a role for him for sure. Um, how do you get Mangala and O'Brien into this team? Because when they've played, they, they've shown what they can add to the mix as well. Yatesy is probably an automatic pick at this point. Koyate's in there because of his physicality, his willingness to be an enforcer um, and paired that with some ability on the ball. But we've got a good mix at the minute, haven't we? We've got three guys up top who are out-and-out ballers. We've got three guys in the in, in the middle there who seem really disciplined. And you've got Mangala and O'Brien waiting in the wings. You said there there's three that have stuck their hand up, but I think that selection is going to change uh, based on the quality of the, the opposition. We might look for more adventure in some games. We might look to be uh, more defensively solid than others. So I think you'll see a continuation of the rotation policy, principally among those, those five um, that we've mentioned there. But I, I do feel at this point, we've got five central midfielders um, in good form. And we can only really select three at a time. So, yeah, good headache for, for, for Cooper. I'm not sure who my favoured three would be um, outside of the context of, of who we're playing against. But I think um, to address the point that you text before, Yatesy probably is an automatic pick at this point. It's the the rise of Ryan Yates as well, Colin, isn't it? I mean, there was a good chance at the start of the season, not a good a chance, he got swept aside really with all these new players coming in. But you've obviously covered Forest for quite a while. Can you think of any examples that kind of supersedes a player who's incrementally risen as well as Ryan Yates as the team's grown around him? I struggled. I can't Yeah, I mean, nobody's, for the last quarter of a century, nobody's been able to prove that they can do it at top level uh, with Forest. So it's it's kind of hard to, to, to chart anybody who's gone through in the way that, that Ryan Yates has. Um, and I'm really pleased for him. I'm absolutely thrilled for for Ryan Yates because every season he has his uh, he has his knockers, doesn't he? And people abusing him on social media, and it's almost like whatever he does is never going to be good enough. 
But I think to an extent, he's even winning those people over now. Um, and, and that tells you everything you need to know about him. Um, I think there's a place in a Premier League team for him. Uh, I, you know, I, even he would, I'm sure he would agree that there are areas of his game that he still wants to develop and still wants to improve and can improve and probably knowing him will improve. Um, and I think a bit like what I just said earlier about how they're all sort of uh, growing into the Premier League. I think Ryan's another classic example of that, that, you know, he may have started a little bit all at sea like everybody else did. I mean, at Newcastle on opening day, they were like rabbits in the headlights. They, they were just, they were all over the place. Um, uh, and uh, but I don't think Ryan was playing that day. Was I think he was injured actually? But uh, but but yeah, I mean he's he's really uh, come come to the fore and and know that that a lot of Premier League games aren't actually scraps in midfield. But when they are scraps in midfield, you don't half need somebody like Ryan Yates. And and I would absolutely have him first name on the team sheet at the moment. I think he's really come really proved himself at top level. Um, and I think not only the battling, but I think some of his passing as well, um, where people have criticised him in the past. I've, I've seen some moments of real cool-headedness on the edge of his own penalty area where he's in trouble, he's, he's under pressure, the team, you know, the opposition team are pressing, he's, got, he's facing his own goal and he's just calmly controlled it under pressure, laid it off five yards to his right to a Froiler or somebody like that who's in better space and, and can get the ball out, away from danger. Um, and I think, you know, that that's a sign that he's really growing. Um, and if I can have my four penneth on uh, Remo Freuler, I think he's superb. I think he's absolutely uh, a machine. I, I think he, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought he had a really dodgy four or five minutes at the start of the game on Saturday. Um, and there were, I think he had three, he had the ball three times in a row and gave it away three times, which was, I mean, extraordinary. Because the one thing you say about him is he never wastes the ball. He always keeps it. He always gives it to somebody, whether it be simple or, or maybe a bit more adventurous. Um, and, and so that came as a real surprise. But then after that, he, he sort of grew into the game and, and was his usual self. Where he and Oral Mangala fit into the same team, I'm not sure. Unless you're going to go back to a 4-2-3-1. But if then you're going to play Mangala and Freuler, where are you going to play Yates? Um, so I think it's, uh, it, it is a, a, real, uh, a real nice headache for... Steve Cooper to have when they come back, as long as they all come back in the same sort of form. Um, Mangala, of course, has been struggling with injury throughout the course of the season and, and has just kept getting little niggles, which force him out of training. So he's not been able to do full weeks training here or there. That's been the issue with him throughout the course of the season. Um, but he's now getting up to, uh, to to full strength and to full fitness. Thought he was excellent against Spurs until the silly challenge when he's on a yellow card already. Um which cost him his place, I think, because I think he probably would have kept his place on on Saturday if he could, you know, fitness wise, if he could have managed it. So I'm a bit like Temps. I, I kind of think it's really difficult to choose at the moment. It's really difficult. The thing is, it's difficult for anybody to force their way into the team um, when they're all playing so well. I mean, like I say, Mangala's played well on Wednesday. If he'd been able to keep his place, would he have done? Would is he playing well enough to displace Freuler from the team? Difficult questions. The same for Lewis O'Brien. You know, Lewis O'Brien over Czech Coyate when Coyate brings you maybe other things defensively that perhaps a Lewis O'Brien doesn't simply because of physical height. Um, you know, it, it, there's all of these things to, to put into the equation. But the great thing from Forrest's point of view is that whereas a lot of these players were, were probably below par for the early part of the season, they are now very much coming to to the party and and producing the form that we've always thought I think they're capable of showing. Yeah, my gripe about Freuler at the start was more. I don't think. I mean, I, I, quite a few of them. I don't think looked hundred percent fit, and he was giving away free kicks on the edge of the box, and they looked like he was a little late arriving to things. But now he looks better, well, doesn't he? All of them, Matt. I think if you look at just look at the number of yellow cards. They were, yeah. they were being dished out like confetti early season because because Forest weren't there. They they were a yard behind and they were you know players were gone past them before they even know and all of them I think players had gone past them before they'd even notice and then he'd pull them back, trip them up, whatever, give away those free kicks, yellow cards. Um, all of that seems to have been rectified now. Whether that's fitness or whether that's a, a, again a gelling thing, a thinking that oh he's gone past me but somebody else will be there to cover. Oh, they're not. I've got to bring him down. That sort of thing. Who knows? But and possibly a combination of the two. But the one, you know, again, I go back to the idea that actually that's 
you know, that seems now to be in the past. Mm. And Forest do seem to be on an upward traje- trajectory uh, pretty much across the field, I think. Yeah, I think it's partly a fitness thing and a tactics thing. Like, I think Cooper's done amazing, but I think he's probably a little bit stubborn around the 3-4-3 formation and getting over on in midfield and Worrell being hung out to dry with Nico Williams too high at the pitch and now he's got Aurier next to him. It feels like a much more cohesive team that's on the right path. And go on, Temps, you always come in there or something. Yeah, the stubbornness point. I mean, a lot of managers are stubborn, but I, I think he, he was briefly because he had plan A at the start of the year, which was three at the back and that blend of near Kate, Warren McKenna, and he thought those three up top would, would gel. So to overcome that and flip to a back four, and then within the system to make a tactical change to what we have now with three up front who need quick passing, ball in behind, draw the defender and slip him in. We that, That's two pretty seismic shifts in the way that he's playing now from where, where he was at the start of the season. And he deserves enormous credit for that. And yeah, when, when is someone stubborn and when are they sticking to um, plan A, which seems to have worked throughout the week in training, which seems to fit the profile of the players? I'm, I'm not sure, but we've got, to, we've got to credit Cooper with having worked it out for himself, having made calls in selection, in shape and in style of play that were perhaps unpopular or what's what's the word not not so obvious to the to the casual supporter when he did them and now we're sitting here with hindsight saying there's been some mistakes along the way but he's got the major decisions right and we've now got a framework for the the new year so yeah i just i just pricked my ears up a bit when when we use that that stubborn word but i suppose it was maybe for a couple of games too long sticking with that system but we've we've got to a point now where we're all the better for the changes that he's made yeah I think it was one game too long. I can't remember the sequence, but the Leicester game was Leicester game was the lowest point where I thought they were probably going to get relegated. So yeah, I don't Leicester, know. Leicester was that was the one that triggered the the, the big changes, wasn't it? That was the yeah, one where he probably had to, didn't it? He was obviously so upset by what he'd seen and and shell shocked in a way by what he'd seen that everything had to change after that. And to their credit, it did. Mm. As I say, that the, the Arsenal game was obviously the aberration. Um, in in the sequence since Leicester, but if I know you can't take that one out, but if you do take that one out, it looks a, a very good sequence, doesn't it? Since then, there was a point there after the Leicester game where I felt it, it could have unravelled. They could have got rid of Cooper and got some, mm-hmm. but they could have got a, you know a downgrade of coaching, and we could have been sat here instead of on thirteen points on six points and feeling all doom and gloom. How are you? I'm jumping ahead here, but how, are you feeling in a pretty good place with the team, Colin? Should fans be pretty happy with where it's at? I think so because of the way that the last few weeks has gone. Um, I, I think I think we're really starting to see some Steve Cooper traits in that team now. Um, I think we are, you know, we're starting to see, if you like, in inverted commas. I said this to, to Steve Cooper last week. His team. We are starting to see a team in there rather than a collection of players that in the early stages just look like they've been thrown together, which, of course, they had. That's exactly what they were. Um, and uh, and it has taken a couple of three months to, to get them to gel as a team. And now I think we're really seeing that. And, and I think we're starting to see, as I've mentioned before, that the best of each individual player, combined with the fact that they're gelling into a team, combined with the fact that they've shown that they're capable of beating some good sides and keeping clean sheets, which are obviously earlier in the season was, was certainly not a thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I take nothing away from that Spurs performance. Nine changes in the Forest side and only four in the Spurs team, one of which is the goalkeeper. So only three outfield players changed for Spurs and, and Forest win it 2-0. I mean, you know, that's a top four team you're talking about there. Um, and Forest have won 2-0. So I know it's in the League Cup. I know the World Cup's around the corner. It may have influenced... You know, somebody like a Harry Kane who might not have wanted particularly to be there uh, and looked at times as if that was definitely the case. Uh, but I, I don't think you should you should belittle it. If there's a game of football there to be won and they've got players like Kane and Perisic up front and you keep a clean sheet, then that needs to be applauded. Um, and I think, I, I just genuinely think Forrester are on a, an upward curve. I think, and you know, I still think it's going to be a battle. I still think you know every Premier League point is so hard fought, so difficult to get. 
and the next two, of course, are Manchester United and Chelsea. So you you could be very much looking at the, uh, you know, or well, hope it's not the case, of course, but you could look in a couple of games' time at Forest being back at the bottom of the table and still you know having a gap to to make up again because of the opposition over the next two games. Then there's a run of games where they really need to start picking up points. I know we said that earlier in the season, but now I'm far more confident that they can go and perform against a Southampton and a Fulham and a Bournemouth, for instance, and pick up points, whether it be at the city ground or maybe even away from home. They do need to pick up more points away from home, I think. Um, But I am very, very optimistic that at the very least Forrest can finish 17th, which at the start of the season was... I think everybody's aim, maybe apart from Evangelos Marinakis, who was looking a bit higher, but I think everybody would have settled for 17th. And I am optimistic, far more so now after the last run of half a dozen games or so than I was beforehand. Uh, there's people in the comments doing a much better job than I am at, at promoting this. I'll put this up from Stephen. If you are watching, do uh, hit likes. It makes a difference on YouTube. Nick did it as well, which he always does. So thanks to that. Um, Cole. I sensed on Saturday, listening to your interview with Cooper, that he kind of feels what you were saying there, that he thinks they're in, in a better place. He seemed pretty relaxed. Obviously, there was the fist pumps at the end. Mm-hmm. Do you sense that he's pretty comfortable as well with the progress that's been made? Yeah, I think he is. I think it meant, you could see how much that meant on Saturday, that win. Um, he's, he's talked before about not doing the fist pumps while they're bottom of the league and in the relegation zone and all the rest of it. They're not where they want to be, but... I don't think, I think kind of the fans demanded it and I don't think he could help himself. And and I completely understand that because I I do think it was a, it was a huge game. I think it was a pivotal game. Um, And, you know, if they'd lost and they'd been adrift at the foot of the table going into the six week break, I think it's a, it's a different place. However, you know, whatever we've talked about, about how, you know, they are on an upward curve and they're getting better and better and all the rest of it. If they'd lost that game, I think it it would have not been a particularly nice place to be um, at the city ground over the course of the long break. So I think it was a it was a pivotal game, and to get a clean sheet, to play well, to see some of the patterns of play we talked about earlier with the forwards linking up and all the rest of it, I think it's given him a lot of optimism. I think he's always believed that it's there, um, but I thought as well. Never mind what he said after the game. I thought his post-match, sorry, his pre-match comments last week were very interesting about when he was talking, uh, not only to myself, but but to everybody generally in the, in the uh, pre-match press conference about it being his toughest challenge in professional football, pointing out how close they were to mid-table rather than, you know, being marooned and all that sort of thing. I, I think he was, I think for the first time, really, he's wanted to admit how difficult it has been. Because, and, and I think the reason for that is because he can see the way forward now. Um, and I think it would have been a tough thing for him to talk about early in the season. I think earlier in the season, it would have sounded like an excuse for how badly they were playing. But now he's seen them coming together, gelling, getting better, playing at times, not for 90 minutes yet. They're, they're not there yet, but at times, really good football. Really, there were times during the Spurs game where some of the one-touch interplay in midfield was just breathtaking. It was proper top flight, serious, proper top flight football. And now he can see that. I think he's he's more prepared to admit publicly how difficult it's been to get to that stage. Um, and then I think that there is real optimism about what can happen in terms of the future. But as I say, let's not get carried away. We're not talking about a, a shoot up the table like they had last season in the championship. We're, we're not talking about going from bottom to third or whatever and, and, and finishing in the European places. We're talking about being able to compete and battle and get out of that bottom three and then stay out of the bottom three. Mm. Well, Greg's already tweeted he's going to have ready for his European tour next season. But that's Greg <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, momentum and confidence are so important, aren't they, Tams? I mean, you look at the table and ostensibly Forest are still in a very bad position, but then Everton are above them in the league, but their fans are, you know screaming at players after a 3-0 defeat to Bournemouth. I think they lost 7-1 on aggregate to them in a, in a week. Wolves uh, in a real downward spiral. The, the the whole thing about Forest in terms of on the pitch, but also Colin mentioned the fans as well. There's not many clubs where the fans would be as united and kind of uplifting as they are at the city ground at the moment. It, 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 it's important, isn't it? Momentum, confidence, 
as a collective, as a club. Yeah, that connection with the fans has, has never been lost, has it? Even in the, the tough times, early early season, Steve Cooper was very much on side with the fans. He built that instant rapport. I enjoyed seeing the fist bumps back. I know it's not the right thing to do when you're bottom of the league, but this was a guy that was under real pressure, who had Rafa Benitez's name floated in the ether as his potential replacement in a precursor to, to sacking him, which would have been spoken about at some level within the forest ownership at, at, at that, that point. So I think it's incredible that the year we've had as Forest fans, we'll, we'll, never, we'll never forget. I'm talking about the calendar year now. And the atmosphere on Saturday and in some of the early Premier League games was as good as Sheffield United at home in that in that playoff semi. I've never known anything like it. And I'm really enjoying the reaction of away fans when they either review on Twitter or we speak to people in our networks about the, the performance and, and they themselves can't believe the atmosphere um, that um, is ever-present almost at the City Ground at this moment in time. And, you know, you look at those, the Palace hoodlums in their black tracksuits and jackets setting off a flare and hiding behind two flags and then promptly going deadly silent for 55 minutes when their, when their team um, fell, fell behind. So, yeah, look, we, we can have an influence. We can create an atmosphere at the city ground that is, I don't want to say intimidating to the opposition, but certainly um, lifting to our, to our own players. And I think Steve Cooper is particularly proud of that because it's something that he helped to create. True, true. Uh, Stephen in the comments, you don't need to apologise to Nick. Nick, your hard work is very much noticed in promoting this podcast, so very much appreciated. Um, Cole, uh, Temps mentioned about the home form. This is a bigger picture for the rest of the season question. They need to find a way of picking up points away, don't they? I mean, Brighton's the, yeah. and the Everton are the only points they've got, and they were, uh, Brighton especially, is a bit harem scare. And I'm not saying they're going to win six away games, but they need to find a way of winning three and getting four or five draws or something off the top of my head. They've got to be better away, haven't they, in the second half of the season? Yeah, they need some more points away from home, for sure. Um, I think I, th- I haven't, haven't actually looked today at the, at the, at the league table and, and the actual stats about away form, but I did look before uh, a couple of games ago, before the Brentford game, because I noticed that Brentford and Palace were both coming to the City ground without an away win. And, and I think the stat was that 11 of the 20 clubs had not... At that stage, that was after, what, 13 games. 11 of the 20 clubs had either got no away wins or won. So over half the division has only won once or less away from home, which shows you how difficult the Premier League is. Mentioned earlier about how difficult every point is to fight for in the Premier League. Um, And I think that shows you something, um, that that it is really, really tough to go somewhere and, and, and get a victory. You can go and get points. Go and get draws. Let Forest have proved that, that they can do a couple of times. But to go away from home and win is really tough. Of course, Brentford have gone and won at Manchester City last weekend to, to end that stat. And of course, Crystal Palace won that weekend away at West Ham. So now they've got a, a win each away from home. Um, but yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people have made the point quite rightly that Forest's survival is going to be down to their home form this season. And, you know, they are starting to pick up good results at the city ground. But I don't think they can survive on home form alone. I think they are going to have to find a way to go to some of the, you know, some of these away grounds, maybe like a Bournemouth or, you know, somewhere like that, Fulham or a Bournemouth or uh, wherever it may be, a Southampton, and, and get a win somewhere along the line or a couple of wins somewhere along the line away from home to supplement and complement that that home form that needs to continue in the way it's going. But yes, it would be nice to see them win away from home. Maybe Old Trafford. Maybe so. Maybe so. Battle yeah, repeat the 1994-95 <laughs> one or whenever it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Temps, I just want to skirt back to the back four because I feel like we should, we, we're ignoring them uh, unfairly. We should mention a couple. I mean, obviously, Aurier is Mr. Consistent suddenly, which has not been his rep as a, as a player. But... Um, uh, like Jesse Lingard as well, Renan Lodi, the last two games, is the player that we were hoping for, isn't he? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned those two because they, they weren't um, in anyone's 11, were they, when we when we first 
um, conceived a forest team to take on the, the Premier League. Serge Aurier was reputed as being gaff-prone at Tottenham. He's been anything but a forest. He's a committed defender. He's organised. He knows when to when to mark, when to come off the player. He's mobile, agile, and he's confident on the ball. I think he's done superbly well. It'll be really, really tough for uh, Nico to extract him from that, that right-back position. Lodi, incredibly high ceiling, cap for Brazil, quality player. Clearly has a couple of uh, work-ons, you might say. There's been games where he has um, gone missing a little bit defensively, but when he's in full flow, when he's attacking the opposition fullback, making overlapping runs, that makes such a difference, the, the, the space that Forrest are able to exploit going forward. That battle gets even more interesting when Omar Richards comes back from injury. And then you've got a genuine three-way battle because Toffolo, remember, hasn't done much wrong. He's been seen as the safe, consistent option where you're throwing a bit of a, a gamble with with Lodi in terms of his his floor and his ceiling. But I think when he's when he's on it, he's in the side. I'll mention Bolly as well because he's a limited defender. Okay, he's not particularly comfortable on the ball. And there are a couple of times when Hendo gave it to him first half on on Saturday when our hearts went our mouths a little bit. When that became a battle second half. And we were sitting deep and having to contend with a, a lot of long balls. He came into his own, dominant in the air, didn't lose too much on the ground either. I thought he was physically imposing upon uh, a, a very well-reputed palace attack that challenges you by rotating the dribblers out wide, playing Will through the centre at times, bringing the, the big lad on as the, the game developed. They throw a lot of different challenges at you and Bolly rose to that occasion. Worrell, when he's fit and firing, he's always going to be in that team. The captain, the leader, um, the most comfortable, I think, of the centre-halves, bringing the ball out and finding that that first pass. And it, it just makes such a difference when, when he's playing well and he's in the side. Again, I don't think that Bolly will be an automatic pick. I think McKenna would have played if he's fit. And I think that near Kate, when he's back, will expect minutes on the pitch. So, yeah. If there's one to pick out from those four who's been consistently excellent and will definitely start the first game back, it's Serge Aurier. I want Wall to stay in the side and I want Lodi to stay in the side on form because Cooper has shown that irrespective of who you are, where you're from, who your dad is, if you have a period of time where you're not doing your job, he'll whip you out. He'll play fair. When you demonstrate you're ready to come back in, he'll do it. Lodi needs to learn from Aurier and find that consistency. And if he does and he plays well, we'll continue to play well as well. Worrell's an interesting case, isn't he, Colin? Because I thought they've got nine centre-halves, which is ridiculous, but I thought they might even need to go out and buy a ball-playing centre-half in, in January. But that can be Worrell, and Temps mentions Niakate as the other one. There's an opportunity now for Joe to touch wood cement his place if he can show this form because he is the best passer of the lot isn't he yeah i think so i mean we obviously haven't seen a lot of near Kate, have we um with his injury problems um so he will effectively be a new signing anyway um and he may have that that uh, ball playing ability um so we wait we wait to see uh him in his in, in kind of full flow if you like a uh, full fitness um as far as joe is concerned I mean, I'm sure he'll have been hurting uh, not being in the team. Um, and I think we've seen that that classic Joe Worrell um, uh, mentality, really, of, right, I'm back in the team, now I want to keep my place. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to help the rest of the team keep clean sheets. And he's done it twice in his two games since he's come back. Um, I think... I think some eyebrows were raised when the Spurs team sheet was was there. With I, I don't think any eyebrows were raised that Joe Worrell was going to get a game in that one, but to have Willie Bolly alongside him and, and suddenly his central defensive pairing is Worrell and Bolly completely changed, and they've both been magnificent. They've both been superb for those for those two games and and helped, as I say, keep clean sheets as well. From uh, from Joe Worrell's perspective, we all know what it means to him. We all know what Forrest means to him. 
what Forest winning means to him, to be in that team, to be captain in the team in, in the Premier League, much as it was when, you know, when he was out the team, it was the same for, for Ryan Yates with that captain's armband on. Um, and I think we mentioned Yates earlier, I would put the two of them together. If they're both fully fit and on top form, then they can be real assets. Um, and I think what we'll probably see from Joe Worrell, I'm sure they've seen it in training day in, day out from the moment he was left out of the team, was an absolute determination to get better, to improve, to cut out errors and to come back and lead his team in the Premier League. And since he's come back, he's he's got two clean sheets out of two. So um, obviously the... Um, there were a couple of things with Wilfred Zaha on Saturday, weren't there? The early doors one where Zaha's got through and then, of course, the penalty. Um, but apart from that, you know, you look at him playing against Kane and Perisic, they've not had a sniff. You look at Palace and, uh, you know, they've not had a shot on target. They've had those two shots from Zaha, both of which missed. And that's it. Dean Henderson's not had a save to make. So playing against, a, you know, as, as Temps just mentioned, that they're kind of, the, the problems that Crystal Palace can give you, but also playing against Kane and Perisic in midweek, two clean sheets. And, uh, you know, what more can he do, really? You know, mm. as, as coming back as a defender. Uh, the clock is ticking, but uh, I should we should really just discuss quickly if it was a penalty or not. Temps, yes or no? Yeah, it was. It was a penalty, wasn't it? He grabbed the he grabbed the shirt, grabbed him across the, the the chest. He's got to be a bit more subtle with that. You've got to kind of press through with your hips rather than using your hands because that's what refs look for and that's what VAR looks for. Um, but yeah, uh, all things considered, I think that was a penalty. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I thought it was as well. I said so at the time. Um, I, I just, I didn't think there was, it was one of those where I know VAR looks every time now just to make sure, but I, I didn't think there was any way it was going to get overturned when VAR looked at it. It just, it, even if there was some debate about that, and I know some fans are saying it wasn't a penalty, it went down too easily. And they certainly spent the day going down too easily, Crystal Palace, that's for sure. Um, but uh, But I think in that case, there was a foul and it was never going to get overturned. So, Yes, I think they got that one right. Officials got it right. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I thought. <laughs> what one thing? I mean, Warrell did that a lot in the Championship. He he got in those positions in the box, and players don't throw themselves down like Zaha did, and he bought it. But like you say, VAR is not going to overturn that, unfortunately. So, yeah, it was a penalty. It's one that Warrell and the defenders need to be aware of because you. Players are going to do that to you in the Premier League. Right, uh, a couple of minutes to go. As usual, any other business, anything anyone wants to add, Temps? I was just going to say, I played a little bit of five-a-side with Colin Frey back in the day at, at Rushcliffe School. And I think I think he's the profile of striker that Forrest need. Very, <laughs> very direct, very direct. Laces for everything. Old and overweight. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, Colin Frey, un- like my favourite commentator of all time, but underrated as a footballer. There you go. That's a nice ego boost, Wendell. I don't, I don't quite know what to say to that, but thank you very much. I'll take it. If Mr. But, Cooper wants me to do a job, I'll, uh, all I'll say is I'll try my best. <laughs> We've had a few of those over the years. <laughs> a few haven't tried their best as well, I suspect. Um, right. Colin, uh, we do, like I say, give anyone a chance to add anything you want to add. Anything you want to add or any general summations about the season so far and what's to come? No, I think, I think the only thing I'd say uh, that we haven't really... I mean, we did touch on a, a little bit earlier, but I, I just emphasise the role the fans are playing this season. Um, I think the city ground atmosphere, I know Temps mentioned it, is is fantastic and has been all year. And what a year it's been, hasn't it? 2022 has been uh, an unbelievable year to, to be a Forest supporter, to be a Forest follower, um, to work on the club as I do. Um, it, it's just been fantastic. And the fans have played a real part in that. The atmospheres have been fantastic. The away followings have been amazing, through not only in the Premier League, of course, but through the Championship as well. Um, and I, I think the fans had a big say in uh, making sure that after that Leicester game, there wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. Um, and I think for that reason, the fans have helped at least to allow Steve Cooper to develop the side that he's now developing. And so I think they've they've helped out and, and assisted Forrest perhaps in more ways than, than they even realised this season, far more so than just on a match day. Um, and uh, and I think that's worthy of mention. So it's been a cracking year on the pitch for Forrest in 2022. It's been a great year off the pitch as well for the fans. 
And just a small bit of admin to finish from me. Then obviously we've got a fancy Premier League, uh, league mini league going, and it's the World Cup break. So I'll give a quick update. My team has gone to hell. I was about 180,000 in the world, and in the space of three weeks, I've dropped to 1.1 million. So I deleted the app off my phone last night until Christmas. I've had enough of it. <laughs> Absolutely fuming. How's that? Eric Dyer ended up in my team, and I watch him now. How is he in England's World Cup squad? Gabriel Jesus, no. Not at Christmas. He's off the Christmas card list, ironically. And Will Sahar as well was in my team for eight weeks. And, uh, yeah, he properly trolled me. Obviously, missing that penalty I was happy about at the weekend. Though. Anyway, um, Andy Hiller is top of the league with 1,003 points. That is mental. 1,000 points at this stage of the season. And then John Salisbury in second and Ben Belfield in third on 988 points. So, well done to them. Temps, is your season going bad? As bad as mine? Are you doing a bit better? Uh, let me tell you about my weekend. So I decided in my infinite wisdom that I needed a bit of a boost. So I triple captained Harland. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was then pointed out to me that you should only ever triple captain someone in a, in a double game week. Yeah. Harland then had a stinker. And to compound it, I left Tony on the, on the bench. So <laughs> if you think you're struggling on FPL, um, yeah, spare a thought for me. I do. I, I feel it. I feel it. Don't worry, Colin. This is probably over your head, or do you play? Uh, no, I don't play. I never. Do you know what? I never have. I, I st- when fantasy football became a thing in the, you know, when it really first started, I, for the first two or three seasons, I played for about the first two or three weeks, and then just forgot and gave up and never took any more notice of it again. And and I just I don't know if it's just the way I am or whatever, but it never really something that's a, appealed to me i don't i don't kind of I, with all due respect to you guys and, and playing it religiously i just would never have the time or the inclination to sit and look at the game try and pick players and stuff you know, if, if you picked an 11 at the start of the season or even the start of the world cup and there was some simplified fantasy football game for older gentlemen with where family life is taken over all their free time pick an 11 and leave it and it be a yeah. An analysis of who had the foresight for what's going to unfold. <laughs> well, I, can tell you, I, I can tell you from my own history, Temps, that that is not a formula that works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Matt, Matt Davis got to 100,000th in the world by spending 12 hours a day on the Fantasy Premier League app. <laughs> and he's, he's, now, he's now so addicted to Football Premier League app and Pringles, he's had to lock himself out of the Morrisons account and delete the app from his phone. So, yeah, yeah. Be careful yeah. out there. Don't spend too much time on these on these little distractions. No, you're very right. You're very wise. Uh, last thing to say is we'll carry on through the World Cup. I've um, got one interview recorded, one confirmed, and two or three that might happen. So we'll still be here through the World Cup, and then obviously we'll be back uh, when things resume against United on the 27th. So in the meantime, Temps, thank you very much. Cheers, Matt. Good to see you, Carl. Colin, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed that. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, nice to see you both. Thanks. Yes, for you, you are welcome back. Tell David that he's probably off the off the <laughs> agenda now after those two thrashings, and you've come through with three points. So uh, you're definitely the man for us. Right. Thanks to everyone who's watched along, commented. Uh, very much appreciated. As I say, if you like this. Do give us the thumbs up on YouTube and subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, etc., etc. Uh, and in the meantime, enjoy your week, and we shall see you soon. 